it is good to be back in the sanctuary, but very weird to be here and not have you be here. I was saying to Herb this morning that uh, we should have done like Major League Baseball and printed out everybody's pictures to post on the pews, so I would really feel like I was looking at you and, and preaching to you. Looking forward to our time back here together in person. I do not naturally choose vulnerability. In fact, naturally I avoid it. Whether it's my physical weakness or an injury, my feelings of imposter syndrome, depression or anxiety, my seemingly unconquerable struggle with sin or temptation, my worry and fear about the future, or any of the endless challenges I face, my preference naturally is to put up a positive exterior put on a smile and a mask of happiness, and to hold my struggles deep within myself. As I mentioned the last time that I preached, for those of you who were on that service, uh, I suffered a concussion about a month ago. And this served as an opportunity for growth, for admitting my own weakness, for slowing down, not being able to complete all the tasks that I'm used to, and asking for help for many of those tasks, even pretty simple ones. I'm happy to say that I'm doing much better, and I do appreciate all the prayers and concern that you have expressed. Uh, I thank you for that. Not 100%, but way better than a month ago. This experience has been a reminder of the way that our own experiences of vulnerability can, if we choose, open the door to others' experiences and stories. And in openly sharing about my concussion and the limitations that came with it, I found numerous opportunities to talk with other people about the experiences they had of concussions and how it had impacted them. Vulnerability invites vulnerability. It invites connection and community with others. This reminded me of an experience uh, while we were in Bolivia. It was a particularly low point. I won't go into all the details, but there was a lot that I was struggling with and was very emotionally low. I needed community, and we didn't have much strong community there. And a lot of our community wasn't English-speaking, and they were relationships that were pretty new. I have generally in my life not been very vulnerable, even with my closest friends, But in the midst of that time, I reached out to three of my closest lifelong friends, and they showed the grace and the love to start doing a weekly video call with me. The four of us have continued that since that time. And as I gradually learned to be vulnerable with them and to share what I was going through and reach out and ask for and accept and receive their support and their love, gradually it became a call of mutual support, a vulnerability coming from different people depending who was struggling that particular week. It became grounded in one of my moments of deepest emotional pain, and it allowed for an opening of vulnerability in our relationships. Many of you will be familiar with the work of Brene Brown. She's a social worker, an author, a speaker, and one of the leading researchers in the area of vulnerability. And I would commend her work to you if you're interested in exploring this topic more. And much of the formation of my thoughts in this sermon have come from her work. She shares a story about speaking to a group of military uh, special forces. And in that context, she asks a question that she asks to many audiences that she speaks to. She said to them, give me an example of courage in your life. 
or an example of courage that you've observed in someone else that did not require uncertainty, uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure, which is her definition of vulnerability, that didn't require uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure. And she says there was absolute silence until one guy stood up and said, three tours, ma'am. There is no courage without vulnerability. There is no courage without vulnerability, which I see as a good piece of wisdom for a bunch of pacifists to learn from military special forces. It reminds me of this story of David and Goliath that we heard this morning, and this one excerpt in particular, where we read, Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him in a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I am not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the wadi, and put them into his shepherd's bag. In the pouch, his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. We find David in this situation where no one, none of the hardened warriors wanted to face this giant. And instead of taking on the military garb, he takes on what he's used to as a shepherd, something simple that doesn't offer much protection. He chose vulnerability. He chose exposure and he chose personal risk. And in this choice, he shows courage and he chose, shows his faith. And as Bernays' research shows, there is no courage without this sort of vulnerability. And I find myself wondering in this faith context, I wonder if the same might be true of faith. Might it be that there is no faith without vulnerability? Vulnerability, as Brene points out, is uh, often takes the form of emotional exposure. And this we see too in David's life as we read through so many psalms that he wrote. These emotional expressions, the highs, the lows, the deep turmoil, the doubts, the struggles with faith, the moments of seeing God come through and, and exalting in that. David is in touch with his emotions and he knows himself and he is willing to express what he is feeling. This sort of vulnerability Real vulnerability must start with this sort of honesty with oneself. Brene Brown's work shows over and over again that vulnerability is a key, if not the key, to effective leadership. So it's no surprise that we see this demonstrated in the life and the leadership of David, a leader whose scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament, calls a man after God's own heart. This is a leader who is in touch with his own emotions, and models vulnerability instead of being closed off and putting on a facade of strength and power. I think of this other story of vulnerability that we have heard this morning, where Jesus calms the storm. Coming from the telling of Mark, we find the disciples in this moment of crisis, of great vulnerability, of fear of death. And when they wake Jesus, he says to them, asks them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, as I read scripture and I encounter the stories of Jesus, I imagine 
in this based on what I know of Jesus, that his tone is not disappointed. It's not disapproving or shaming or judging. These questions are compassionate and they're loving. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And then in the wake of the storms being calmed by Jesus, we hear the disciples say, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Now, there's more behind this question than is on the surface. Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And this is context that I didn't realize until I was preparing for this sermon. I don't remember ever coming across or at least thinking about what Psalm 107 says and how it ties to this story. But for a group of Jews who are steeped in Hebrew scripture, there's no doubt that this passage comes to mind in this moment. There we read, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the mighty waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Sounds a bit like the story that Mark told us this morning. Imagine what this does for the disciples who know this psalm by heart, no doubt. This is the Son of God, the God of the Psalms. He commands the sea. And what does this mean? It means that God is with me in the storms, and I can have faith and courage, even in that moment of crisis. It is in the place of vulnerability and struggle where deep faith and courage can be formed. Faith and courage do not come from smooth sailing, but from the midst of that storm. And as Todd would do, I'll say that again. It is in the place of vulnerability and struggle where deep faith and courage can be formed. Faith and courage do not come from smooth sailing, but from the midst of the storm. While I was in grad school, I had the opportunity to serve as a research assistant for one of my professors who was working on a book about Edward Wimberly. He is a theologian. He's a leader in pastoral care and counseling, and he's one of the foremost researchers in the history of the black church. He writes a lot about the history and development of the theology of the black church and about the black religious experience. He explores the branches of the church that grew out of the struggle of life in slavery. And one of the examples of what he writes about that I learned from him in his writings is about the Brush Harbor. The Brush Harbor was what was, it was called a Brush Harbor, was a clandestine service that happened among people who were enslaved. When they would go out into the brush and they would hold worship services in the dead of night, they were services of dissent. They were services where they worshipped and encountered a God who was on the side of the oppressed a complete antithesis to the church of the plantation where God that was taught there was one who ordained the slavery that they lived under. This theology of dissent 
in this form and in later liberation theologies, those that have a lens of God who is on the side always of the poor and the oppressed and against the powerful and the oppressor. These liberation theologies have been important in my own formation because they are formed out of the struggle, out of the storm, out of the battle. They have been formed in faith and courage and wisdom that is only formed in the experience of knowing God's presence in the midst of those storms of life, of knowing God's presence in the battle, in facing the Goliaths, the storms of racism, sexism, oppression, slavery, torture, segregation, domestic terrorism. This is the hard-earned faith that is formed in the vulnerability of the storm. So I think of yesterday's celebration, the first officially recognized by our federal government of Juneteenth. Juneteenth being the, the remembrance, the celebration of the arrival of the Emancipation Proclamation of Freedom to Galveston, Texas, the outermost reaches of the Confederacy, our newest federal holiday. And my vulnerable truth is I didn't know about Juneteenth until a couple years ago. And it's a reminder that I have much to learn about my nation's history, about those who are in my community who have faced oppression historically and continue to face oppression of systemic racism in our society today. And I'm challenged by a quote from James Baldwin, which is in The, next, the Fire Next Time, his book, where he writes, love takes off the masks that we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. Love takes off the masks that we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. And he writes this in the context of confronting white privilege and oppression and the masks of those who are white in society who choose not to be vulnerable and to face the reality of the systems that they live in and benefit from. This is an invitation to let down the facade of my own goodness and to choose vulnerability, to choose the vulnerability of facing honesty, honestly my complicity in upholding a racist system and benefiting from the privileges that I have because of that system. It is the vulnerability of choosing a position alongside those who suffer at the hands of a racist system, of risking my own privilege and position in that very act of joining. And it is an invitation to the vulnerability of admitting that I have much to learn from those who are marginalized. I need them to help me unmask, to deconstruct the walls that I have built to protect my privilege and to maintain my narrative of my own goodness. These encounters are the opportunity to grow in faith and courage, to come into community, to encounter God in the community with those who have experienced God's presence in the storm, who know more of vulnerability and courage and faith than I do because of what they have lived through. And so for me, here are some of my takeaways. I can make the choice to share my own story because my vulnerability invites your vulnerability and your vulnerability opens a space for me to risk sharing my own story. I can choose to lead with my own weakness in my encounter with others 
such as expressing my own doubts when I fear that God may not be there in the midst of the storm. As leaders, myself, each of us, really all of us lead in some context. There are others who look to us. For us as leaders to choose uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure, vulnerability, to choose uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure, this shows more strength and earns more respect and builds more community than false confidence and knowledge and emotionless objectivity. And I can choose to freely admit that I need to learn from others. That Okay, folks, we just lost sound and video from the building. Thank you, Bob Smucker, for telling us that. Uh, should we pause just a bit, or what do you advise? I'm calling Herb right now on the phone to see what's going on. Okay. Thank you, Bob. Okay, everybody stay tuned. Uh, John is making his way to a laptop so he can finish on a direct connection. Thank you, Bob. Can you hear me? Yes. What was the last thing you heard. We hear you now, thanks John. <laughs> Bob or Mim, what did, what did you hear last? This is a quiz of the sermon. You were offering. Choose uncertainty, risk, and exposure. Okay. So it was uh, the quote. I was into the quote. Yes. All right. So here's an epic ending to this, uh, this sermon now. A uh, quote from Brene Brown, Daring Greatly, which I think is a wonderful summary of these thoughts. Vulnerability is not weakness. And the uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure we face every day are not optional. Our only choice is a question of engagement. Our willingness to own and engage with our vulnerability, vulnerability determines 
the depth of our courage and the clarity of our purpose. The level to which we protect ourselves from being vulnerable is a measure of our fear and disconnection. We must dare to show up and let ourselves be seen. This is vulnerability. This is daring greatly. Amen.